I don't like waiting. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate waiting for anything to download. I hate waiting on a response to an important text. I hate waiting for my coffee to cool so I can get that first sip in the morning. I, I just generally hate waiting. Now, this morning, I'm talking to all of our community expressions, to all our Chicagoland locations, uh, to those joining us via, via community online, to those joining us through community freedom, and also all of our 3C communities and microchurches. Now, in total, that's probably five, six, 7,000 people, somewhere in there. And I doubt there's even one of us who just loves a good, long wait. So I'm pretty sure I'm in good company. We all hate to wait. But I'll tell you, some of the worst waiting for me comes this time of year. It comes specifically on Thanksgiving Day, and my dad is the perpetrator. And I'm pretty sure, Dad, you're watching, so I'm calling you out right now. Sorry about that, but I got to do it. Here's what often happens on Thanksgiving at the Elder Ferguson house. My mom and others have carefully crafted everyone's favorite meal of the year, and they placed it before us on the dining room table. Now, I just want you to kind of picture this, okay? There's a golden brown piping hot Thanksgiving turkey. My favorite cornbread dressing. I'm not a stuffing guy at all. I'm all about the cornbread dressing. Hot off the stove mashed potatoes with butter melting in all the crevices. Oven fresh homemade crescent rolls, still steaming hot. Now I could go on and on, but it's just kind of making my mouth water right now. Now all of this has been perfectly timed to eat while it's still warm and delicious. So we all sit down and pray, then to eat, and right as we're getting started to pass the food, my dad interrupts and he'll say, you know, since it's Thanksgiving, I thought it would be a good idea if we just paused. And we took some time and go around the table and have each of us say something we're grateful for. <laughs> now, I mean, you know you can't say anything, right? I mean, how, how do you protest expressing gratitude on Thanksgiving? But on the inside, I'm thinking, you know what? I'll be grateful when this wait is over and I can stuff my pie hole. <laughs> I hate waiting. But let me ask you this. What if waiting had a purpose? What if waiting to find Mr. Right or Miss Right had a purpose? What if waiting on a dream to be realized and fulfilled had a purpose? What if waiting on that opportunity you were promised had a purpose? What if waiting on the pain that you're experiencing to end had a purpose? What if your waiting, the waiting you're experiencing today, had a bigger purpose? What if we discovered that while we all, we do, we hate to wait, that in waiting, we can actually make room for God and that God does some of his best work in us and through us while we're waiting. Now, a little bit, I'm gonna share with you three ways that God can work in our waiting. So stick with me. And that's just one of the reasons I'm so excited about our new series, Making Room in Advent. Now you see this word Advent means coming. And Advent is meant to be four weeks of waiting in preparation for the coming of Christmas. The intention behind Advent is for it to be a season to, of experience, to experience purposeful waiting. Now historically, this was a time where Christians would fast and wait in anticipation of the Messiah's coming. And yet, what most of us experience during Advent, rather than purposeful waiting, is a lot of impatient, frantic chaos. 
It doesn't have to be that way. As a Christmas gift to you during the series, we are partnering with artist Betty Dickinson, whose paintings and reflections on some of the characters in the Christmas story will help us make room in Advent. Here's Betty to introduce us to the first character in the story of Advent. Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth were model Israelites. According to the text, they were righteous in the sight of God. Yet they had a problem. They were both old and barren. Barrenness in their particular culture would have been a cultural stigma. It was often interpreted as a sign of God's judgment, which looks pretty bad for a priest. Yet when Zechariah was old, he came upon a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He was chosen by Lot to go into the temple to burn incense, a sign of the prayers of the people of Israel. It's almost as if Luke sets up a parallel here between Zechariah and the people of Israel. Because the people of Israel had been barren and waiting too. They had been waiting for their promised Messiah, and for 400 years they had no word from the Lord, only silence. So Zechariah goes into the temple to burn incense, and the people of Israel are gathered to pray outside as Zechariah went in. You can feel the tension rising here in the story, right? They had done this how many times with other priests and had no response from God? Yet this time, an angel appears to the right of the altar. Zechariah is caught completely off guard and gripped with fear. But the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. The angel Gabriel makes this incredible promise about who John the Baptist would be, how he would go before the Lord and prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And Zechariah's response, he says, how can I be sure of this? I can only imagine what it must have been like for Zechariah to wait and pray for decades for a son. His very name means Jehovah has remembered. But had God forgotten? Zechariah and Elizabeth must have cried out countless sleepless nights for God to answer their prayers. And yet here he is, an old man, childless and full of shame, waiting in silence. This barrenness, this waiting, was not Zechariah and Elizabeth's fault. They had done everything right in the sight of God. I ache with them here. I know what it feels like to say all the right prayers and do all the right things, but encounter God's silence in the face of my longings. Have you ever felt that way? It's no wonder that when the angels spoke to him, Zechariah had questions. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting and waiting and waiting. For decades, they waited for a child and they did all the right things. And yet Elizabeth and Zechariah were still waiting on God to answer their prayer. It seemed everything God had promised wasn't happening. And as the wait went on, Zechariah is running out of hope. I mean, look at the scene in Luke chapter one. An angel miraculously shows up, all right? Don't let that casually pass you by, an angel. An angel shows up and tells him, God has heard your prayers. Elizabeth is going to have a child. Now look at Zechariah's skeptical response. It says there, it says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Did you catch that? He's asking an angel, how can I be sure of this? I mean, Zechariah has all but given up. Now, we also need to stop here for just a second. This is for all of you husbands out there. I want you to take note. 
Zechariah says, did you catch this? I am an old man, and my wife is, well, along in years. <laughs> I mean, he may not have any kids, but this guy's been successfully married for a long time. He is a smart, smart man. This has nothing to do with our big idea, but it's something I thought you guys could learn from, all right? Now, Zechariah's struggle, it's one that we can all relate to. Because it's hard to pray heartfelt prayers and feel like all you're getting back from God is silence. It's painful to be confronted over and over again with unmet longings and unrealized dreams. And many times in the waiting, we are tempted to lose hope and just give up. And that's exactly where Elizabeth and Zechariah were. And my hunch is that many of you are too today. You know how this feels. Soon I know a little bit about what it's like uh, for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Uh, not long after we got married, we decided we wanted to start a family. And I remember just how excited we both were when Sue showed me her positive pregnancy test and we were going to have a kid. Then we went to the doctor for the ultrasound to see the first glimpse of our baby. Well, uh, the baby, for reasons we didn't fully understand, had stopped developing. And so the dream of being parents and of having a baby would have to wait. There's almost nothing we like about waiting. Waiting's hard, and waiting often feels very painful. But then again, what if there was a purpose in our waiting? What if waiting gives God an opportunity to work in our lives in ways that we need? Pastor and author Rich Lotus wrote something that's just, it stuck with me, and I hope it'll stick with you. He wrote this, he says, what God does in us as we wait is often more important than what we're waiting for. Let, let that sink in. What God does in us as we wait is often more important than what we're waiting for. You think that could be true? See, often we don't see any benefit in waiting. But what if waiting is actually the thing that makes room for God to work? And for me, the more I've delved into this topic of waiting, the more I'm convinced that waiting can serve a purpose. And I want us to talk about three ways that God can work in our waiting. Well, well, first, in our waiting, God teaches us to trust him. He teaches us to trust him. Now, our culture tends to really, I mean, we celebrate self-reliance. And self-reliance can be a good trait. But self-reliance can also get in the way of trusting God. Now, for me, by nature, I mean, I'm a type A personality. I, I want to make stuff happen. I have a bias for action, you know, goal and accomplishment. But the shadow side of all that is that sometimes I become too self-reliant. I end up trusting myself more than I trust God. And when that happens, I miss out on the God-sized things he's trying to do because I'm relying on myself to accomplish, you know, Dave-sized things. And sometimes trusting God means to trust in God's timing. And let's be honest, God's timing doesn't always make sense to us, right? Often it contradicts what we think we should be doing and what should be happening. And in those instances, it's so crucial that we not waste our waiting. Let me say that again, that we not waste our waiting, but we use it to grow in our trust in God. In Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, I'm sure their preference, their preference would have been to have a child in their younger years and not wait until they were so old. 
But God's timing meant that they would get to experience the incredible joy, the incredible privilege of raising a son in John the Baptist who would literally go on to prepare the way for Jesus. See, in our waiting, we need to make room for God to teach us to trust him. There's a second purpose for our waiting. In our waiting, God also matures us. He matures us and grows us up. Now, let me ask you this. What happens when a toddler doesn't get what they want when they want it? They throw a fit, right? In public, in a store, in church, they don't care. They aren't mature. They want it now. They don't want to wait. As adults, waiting can bring out the immaturity in us too. I came across a story of one older couple who really, really hated waiting. In fact, they hated waiting so much, they sued the people that made them wait. The Brasads are now in their 60s. They're tired of waiting. With every year that passed, they got more and more frustrated waiting for their first grandchild. <laughs> so the Prasads resorted to a desperate, desperate tactic to force their son and daughter-in-law to give them a grandkid. They decided to sue them. Specifically, they sued their son. I'm not making this up. True story, okay? The Prasads hired a legal representative who took their son to court, and then he began to explain to the judge. He said, Mr. and Mrs. Prasad have raised their son, paid for his full education, which was expensive, to the point where he's now an employed pilot. The attorney went on and said, they see other people in the neighborhood playing with grandchildren, and they feel like they should not have to wait any longer. And a legal counsel then concluded, so the Prasads are suing their son in the amount of $643,000 if in the next year he does not give them a grandchild. I mean, you really can't make this stuff up. And I told you, people hate to wait. It can also cause us to respond very immaturely. But at the same time, think about this, okay? Think about this. When have you experienced the greatest amount of growth in your relationship with Jesus? I bet when you look back, it's been moments of waiting and challenge. I mean, when our lives are running smoothly, we tend not to grow or develop our faith nearly as much as when we're waiting and being challenged. I know it's true for me. I remember as a young pastor starting this church, I mean, I had to wait on any kind of financial security. All the while, continue to tithe, you know, that means 10% and be generous. Doing that and during that, what it did is it grew me up and it matured me. During the waiting, whatever it is you're waiting for, God wants to mature you. The prophet Isaiah writes this. He says, but those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, now some translations actually say those who hope on the Lord. And what you have is this wonderful promise that when we have hope in the middle of waiting, God gives us strength. It's in our times of waiting that God matures us. So, so first, in our waiting, God teaches us to trust him. Second, in our waiting, God matures us. But finally, in our waiting, God is at work. God's at work. And it may feel like to you, nothing is happening. I get it. But make no doubt about it, okay? During times of waiting, God is at work. Well, let's, let's go back to our story. When Zechariah has his encounter with the angel, he struggles to believe that God's really at work. In fact, the angel Gabriel causes Zechariah to go mute 
because of his failure to believe. Now, I don't think this was so much a punishment as it was an opportunity for Zechariah to be silent, to wait, and quietly see how God was at work. Zechariah finishes the responsibilities at the temple, and then he goes home. And shortly after, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. God was at work. And then the day comes. Zechariah and Elizabeth had waited and endured times of sadness, frustration, despair, but now they were holding this newborn baby boy, right? God was at work. Their neighbors and relatives asked Zechariah what he, what he wanted to name the boy, and he motioned for them to bring a writing tablet. And on it he wrote, his name is John. And then Luke tells us what happens next in the story. It says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This child that they now held would not only change their lives, but would impact the entire nation of Israel. I mean, God was clearly at work. And not only would that child impact the nation of Israel, but we'd also be the one to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, Jesus. God was at work. God used an unlikely couple to have an unlikely baby to prepare the way for Jesus. In their waiting, God was at work. And even if we don't see it or understand it, in our times of waiting, know this, God is at work. And if you're in a season of waiting, hear me. This is an important season in your life. Don't waste your waiting. Remember what Rich Flotus, I love this. What God does in us as we wait is often more important than what we're waiting for. Advent is meant to be a season of waiting, a season where we make room for God by waiting with a purpose. I want to learn how to do that. This waiting with a purpose. I want you to learn how to do that. I, I want our whole church to learn this important lesson of how do we, because so much of life is this, waiting with a purpose. And so I want us to lean into that today. And I want to take a moment to reflect and make room for God to meet us in this place. Now, as we move into that moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then I've asked your local teaching pastor to lead you in a moment of reflection. Let's pray. Father God, I do. I ask that you help us to learn how to wait with purpose. That in doing so, you really do want us to learn to trust you more. There's different areas of our life that you want to grow us up. And you want us to have confidence that you are constantly, always at work, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. Lord, help us, us as a whole church, us as individuals, learn how to wait with a purpose. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.